It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy. Focus, discipline, and resilience. The plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience. A sleek, slick, custom-designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean, filtered, circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once-in-a-while action. Get the plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit at thecoldplunge.com to learn all about this sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new Rebounder mini trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com, and you can't lose with their generous 30-day money-back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com. I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. Your body just starts to compensate by increasing the amount of energy that you have because there's a lot of food around now, and now we're going to start doing stuff you know, that we weren't able to do before. And it doesn't just go right to body fat. Like you know, the bananas that you eat or the strawberries or the potatoes or white rice or whatever you're, you know, you're incorporating into your diet just doesn't just magically turn into body fat because it's a carbohydrate. That constraint model only comes into play when you're not feeding the body, when you are in an energy-restricted state. Um, yeah, that, that cap comes into play because the body is like, I can't, there's nothing else to give. You're not giving me enough food. I can't burn any more. What are you going to do? You should be able to burn fat, you know, at, at certain heart rate ranges, etc. But when it's time to put the pedal to the metal, there's no doubt that carbohydrates are the superior fuel. And if your body can't tap into that when you're trying to go hard, that's a problem. It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy. Focus, discipline, and resilience. The plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience. A sleek, slick, custom-designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean, filtered, circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once-in-a-while action. Get the plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit 
visit thecoldplunge.com to learn all about this sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new Rebounder Mini Trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com, and you can't lose with their generous 30-day money-back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com. Hey listeners, it's my pleasure to introduce a very interesting conversation with Primal Health Coach Ryan Baxter. And he is an ordinary guy living a normal life. He has a day job as a software engineer. He's got two kids, a wife, a family life, a busy fitness enthusiast, and works with everyday clients as well. So he has a lot of uh, street knowledge to share with us. Uh, But we talk about some of these big picture concerns that have been my obsession lately on the show uh, regarding the energy balance insights from Jay Feldman the role of diet in peak performance recovery and fat reduction. And Ryan is a self-described data nerd. He has a metabolic cart in his house. It was on the screen uh, in the background. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a uh, scientific device, very expensive, where you can hook yourself up to a gas exchange mask and determine the ratio of fats to carbohydrate that you're burning during exercise. So he can slap this puppy on, get some data points. He talks about having a carb binge and then getting on the next morning, getting on the metabolic cart and determining that he was still uh, a fat burning beast. He didn't get kicked out of the club just from his carbohydrate experiments. Uh, But one interesting thing that he's done over the past year was make a concerted effort to consume more daily calories to the tune of 700 additional calories per day for an entire year and his body composition was exactly the same, optimal, under 10% body fat uh, via a repeat DEXA scan. And this opens up the dialogue to call into question or to look at a bigger perspective of the so-called constrained model of energy expenditure, where the research suggests that we have an upper limit, a ceiling on our daily caloric expenditure, and we're going to find ways to economize if we burn a lot of energy during exercise. Uh, And so some of this stuff transcends that, and we talk through uh, these insights and how they might apply to, uh, for example, the information shared by Dr. Ponser on our shows about the constraint model. And there's new research now showing that the constrained model is largely relevant to people in a caloric deficit, in other words, like a hunter-gatherer striving to get enough calories every day to survive, versus uh, those of us in the modern world who have uh, caloric abundance. And so if you are able to 
access sufficient food to fuel your busy, energetic, athletic day. Um, the constrained model doesn't apply so much as the more familiar additive model, whereby if you do consume more calories, like Ryan describes, you will find ways to become more energetic. And that is a, by and large, a good thing because it allows you to go and do workouts to build and maintain lean muscle mass and have excellent cognitive function all day and turn up all those dials that I talk about to optimize your reproduction, repair, growth, and locomotion. So I think this show is particularly relevant to those of us with the extreme uh, health and fitness devotion who are experimenting or have experimented with restrictive diets uh, while also pursuing peak performance goals, both fitness and cognitive and all-around energetic happy, healthy, balanced lifestyle, how they can add up to be excessive and be counterproductive. Um, so, I mean, if that doesn't get your attention, that here's some guy who's tracked everything uh, diligently and noting that he can consume vastly more calories and report back feeling better with the same body composition and also report similar positive benefits with his clients. So if that doesn't grab your attention, I don't know what will. I think we're going to get some great insights here as we continue with our quest to optimize our fitness endeavors as well as our diet and how our diet can support these fitness endeavors, healthy, active lifestyle endeavors. Here we go with Ryan Baxter. Ryan Baxter, we have some stuff to talk about because we've been burning up the email exchanges. Uh, it's great to have you back. and. Um, uh, I'd love to hear how your coaching operation is going. And then the important points that we are going to discuss are, um, I guess, the, the role of, of macros in the lifestyle of a healthy, fit, athletic person. And then also uh, something that we, uh, we've been both kind of uh, troubled by is this open and shut case of the constrained model of energy expenditure and some ways that this might be nuanced that we might need to open up and uh, figure out. And if for listeners I'm familiar with the constraint model, um, I talked about that at length on my show with Dr. Ponser. And it's a, uh, I think I would say it's a widely validated scientific concept that uh, the body has compensation mechanisms. When you burn a lot of energy, uh, you slow down in other areas. And it's not a, it's not a great message for someone who's out there running their 40 miles a week and then thinking that their uh, libido, hormonal function, recovery, things are going to be uh, compromised because of all the energy you're putting out to exercise. We want to be able, feel strong and energetic and all that stuff. And now I got a smile on your face, man. He's ready to pop. So uh, let's check back in with Ryan. How you doing? And then take it away. Yeah. Uh, heck, uh, Brad, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me back on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Things have been busy since the last time we talked. I've been, you know, like you said, continuing to coach and also, uh, you know, that's my part-time gig. And then I have my full-time software engineering gig and two kids and a wife and athletic aspirations. And yeah, so just been cruising along since the last time we talked, but uh, all good stuff and doing good and, and happy to be back on chatting about all these cool stuff. That's cool stuff. Well, here's an example of a real person out there. You're juggling a lot of different endeavors. All of them require energy, including we can't forget the, the energy uh, for cognitive function and, and, and concentrating and, and doing software engineering and then using your brain in a different manner when you're engaged in, in coaching and, and family yeah. life. Um, and I, it gives me, 
an opportunity to make a, a quick jump over to uh, this fascination of modeling the hunter-gatherer ancestor in order to inform modern-day healthy lifestyle practices. And our ancestors didn't do this. Our ancestors uh, never ate uh, that much sugar, uh, so neither should you. Uh, but nor did they sit in front of a screen and uh, program software and then jump straight to uh, you know grueling, by comparison, grueling workouts that were never performed by our ancestors either. Um, I love that quip from Dr. Tommy Wood citing actual research where he said that today's elite level athlete, especially in, in CrossFit or triathlon or whatever sport you want to Olympic sport you want to pick, they do six times the energy expenditure of the busiest hunter gatherer in history. And so uh, when we're not really uh, in practicality modeling the lifestyle behaviors of our of our hunter gatherer ancestors in any way, um, we might want to kind of uh, modify the the template a little bit to respect people that are using their brain and their body and going 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 with a lot of chronic stressors that didn't exist uh, and and you know we have to we have to figure out how to navigate that mm. yeah for sure I think it's um you know the the modern day athlete is 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 certainly different than the way our ancestors lived right and I, I was I was kind of thinking about this too as well as re-listening to some of your podcasts with Jay and he's talking about stressors and fasting and cold exposure and so on. And I'm like, you know, all these things are things that our ancestors would have avoided at all costs, right? <laughs> they would have avoided jumping into a cold pool. They would have avoided being extremely hot. They would have avoided not eating for a prolonged period of time, but some situations were kind of just forced upon them, right? And uh, so we're kind of like saying all these things are great, but yet they're also, you know, because they, they were modeled after, you know, these, our ancestors got cold, they were hot there. They, they, they didn't eat for a long time, but it wasn't by choice. It was just because it was cold outside. They didn't have a lot of cold, you know, clothes, or it was really hot outside. They didn't have air conditioning or, you know, they, they couldn't find the food. And, you know, today we have, uh, a whole boatload of stressors in addition to that stuff. And then we voluntarily put ourselves in these weird situations where we're like, yeah, we're going to just add some more stress on top of that. And certainly being, you know, the, the life I choose to live um, with, you know, uh, a full-time job, a part-time job, two kids, a wife, a family and athletic goals. Like, yeah, I have a lot of stress in my life, but I also um, understand that I now <laughs> I understand that I have a lot of stress. And so I do my best to combat some of that stuff with, you know, some of the things like you and Jay talked about with like making sure I'm eating enough food, not restricting any particular macronutrient, um, doing my meditation, you know, going on long walks, you know, uh, being outside in the sun. So I do my best. It doesn't work all the time. Sometimes I certainly suffer my, uh, you know, my fair share of stress like everyone does, but I also am very mindful that I'm I'm not living it, you know, a perfect ancestral lifestyle and that I probably, you know, I, I need to do a little bit more to, to inject a little bit more, you know, less stress or more relaxation into my life to, to deal with that stuff. So I'm, I'm very mindful of, of what I'm doing too. Yeah. I think we can all uh, acknowledge that these chronic forms of stress, especially things that are negative, but even the chronic forms of uh, stress that you enjoy are things that we want to minimize because they're, you know, 
by and large unhealthy and uh, the cumulative effects of them can definitely be argued as unhealthy. I'm thinking of the extreme training endurance athlete uh, who's at a high level for years and decades. And then uh, lo and behold, is at high risk of uh, heart trouble, especially atrial fibrillation. And this is happening in the, the fittest uh, humans of the planet uh, in, a, in a disturbing uh, manner, disturbing frequency. Uh, but I think the, the, the question comes that um, we're doing our best to man- minimize chronic stress and because we're extreme health and fitness enthusiasts and we have uh, peak performance goals and we're, we're focused and driven and motivated, we're not talking to the laziest percentage of the population where the message would be, get up off the couch, uh, walk around the block, get your butt moving in life. That's not, the, that's not the demographic here. And so we have people who are immersed in all manner of chronic stress that's very difficult to extricate from, and then are layering the cold plunge and the sauna and the high intensity workout and the fasting and the carb restriction, the time restricted feeding. Uh, and then we have the potential for um, the cumulative effects being, being too much and being overwhelming. And that yeah. brings us right to, you mentioned Jay a couple of times. Those are my shows with Jay Feldman and his message about energy balance and especially the controversial parts of it where um, he's arguing that um, we should be fueling primarily upon uh, carbohydrates with fat as a backup energy source, which is kind of the opposite of the uh, the template ancestral message and the magical benefits of keto and all the things that people are aspiring to when they restrict dietary carbohydrates and restrict uh, feeding times. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think all these things are great. Like I I I do my fair. Sh- I have a sauna. I get in the sauna, um, and. I do, you know, take a cold shower. It's not like a cold plunge, but I do a couple minutes of cold exposure every day, but I'm not going to any kind of extremes anymore. Like it, and like I do these things, um, you know, as I, I like to say, as life dictates, like, so I, I still occasionally fast, but I do it when my life dictates that I need to fast. Right. Um, because I'm going to go on a plane ride for, you know, eight hours, whatever. It's not really convenient for me to eat. There's no good food in the airport. I'll fast for that, you know, that day. And I have no problem doing it. And surprisingly, you know, even though I eat a boatload of carbs, you know, compared to the, you know, what the low carb keto world would, would say, um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not a carb addict. I can still tap into my fat burning. I can, you know, go for long periods of times without eating, despite eating a massive amount of food and not doing a lot of fasting the whole time. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I just kind of, I think it's a, a balance approach. You have to learn where the right, the right balance is with all this stuff. And I think we get, um, lost in that. We think that if, if we eat the banana, that all of a sudden we're going to be, you know, pre-diabetic the next day. Um, and, and I think that the hard charging athlete has nothing to worry about, <laughs> Um, and I think that they should probably be eating more food and, um, not doing so much, you know, caloric restriction or, um, carb restriction, et cetera. Right. Um, and in all in the, in the name of minimizing the stressors and, um, also, uh, you know, exercise performance and athletic goals and mental performance and all that stuff too. Yeah. Well said an important point comes out of there. And one that was echoed by Sisson when I was talking with him. And trying to sort out um, these these insights that 
compel you to think critically and maybe re-examine some fixed and rigid beliefs. And the one that really slapped me in the face the hardest from Jay Feldman when I first heard him on the show, on Ben Greenfield's show uh, back in April of 22, he said uh, fasting turns on stress hormones, carb restriction, keto, time-restricted feeding. These are mechanisms. Uh, these are stress mechanisms. And that is indeed the way that they work. That's the nature of their effectiveness is turning on the stress response in the body. And that was alarming to me because I'm trying to minimize all manner of stress in my life and then uh, prioritize it or, or redirect it to uh, my high intensity sprinting and jumping workouts because they are stressful, but I enjoy them and I want to uh, you know, maximize the intended benefits of these workouts by stressing the body and allowing it to recover. And so if I'm stacking too many stressors, such as doing these workouts in a fasted state or especially fasting afterward, that's when uh, historically I have the track record to uh, to reference here that I've run into trouble. And I think uh, you mentioned the same with a lot of your clients where you're getting into um, the, the banana recommendation uh, and, and kind of spinning their head. Hmm. Yeah, I've 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 worked through this this process a number of times um, with several clients, especially athlete clients that are from the low carb keto primal paleo you know uh, spectrum, um, where they come to me and they they have complaints about performance or just mental clarity or their sleep's dysregulated. Etc. And I look at, you know, okay, you know, what are you eating? Right. Cause this, this could be for a number of things. Right. But I always start with like the basics, you know, what are you eating? What's your sleep? Like, what's your, you know, what's your stress? Like, what, you know, let's look at, you know, the foundation here and see how stable that is. And almost every time I look at what they're doing and they're, they're doing, you know, periods of fasting, they may not be eating till noon. Then you know, they're not eating any carbohydrates. They're eating 50 grams or 20 grams of carbohydrates. Um, they're, uh, you know, an everyday person, they have a job, they're a parent, you know, they have all the stressors that we've been talking about of life. And then they're also training for whatever half marathons, obstacle course racing, you know, uh, you know, triathletes, whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what, what if, we try eating a little bit more food and eating a little bit more carbohydrates. Now I say this to myself. I don't, I don't say it to them. Right. I say, okay, well, let's look at your diet a little bit and Hey, you know what, you know, because you're only eating two meals a day, it's really hard for you to get in the, the right amount of protein, you know, that you, that you should be eating. So let's start with, you know, can we, can we do like maybe something in the morning, like with a little bit of protein in it, shake or whatever, just something in the morning that uh you know you can get a little bit of more protein in and they start there and then you know eventually the topic comes up of, you know what do you think about carbohydrates Ryan? well you know you could probably eat a little bit more carbohydrates you know that meal that we're having in the morning you know that shake well maybe put a little bit of banana in it or some strawberries or fruits you know 20 grams of carbohydrates nothing nothing big oh are you sure that's okay you know is Am I going to, is my blood sugar going to be all off? Is it going to kick me out of fat burning? I'm like, it'll be fine. You know, just, let's just see how it is. A couple of weeks later you hear, Hey Ryan, my sleep's been really good lately. You know, I've been sleeping excellent. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. My recovery is really good too. You know, I feel kind of, you know, a lot, a lot better after my, after my gym workouts. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, what do you think it is? I'm like, yeah, it's maybe the protein and the carbohydrates. Oh, 
should we add more of that stuff? Yeah, let's add some more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's like it's this trickle effect of we'll keep building upon that and um, slowly building up, you know, the amount of food and carbohydrates that they, they might be consuming. And inevitably, it just it, their performance increases, their, um, you know, their sleep gets better, their stress goes down. Um, they have a lot more energy. They're a lot more mental clarity. Um, and sometimes they actually lose weight, <laughs> not, not intentionally. They, they start to lose. I had, I had a, a female client. She came to me. She was a half marathoner. I, I interviewed her. I posted the videos. Um, they're on my website and on my Instagram and stuff like that. We, we talked about this whole thing, but we've increased the amount of food she's eating, increased the amount of carbohydrates she was eating over the course of six months. And she dropped like 10 pounds and PR her half marathon, right? And not intentionally. We didn't try to do it at all. We weren't trying to lose weight intentionally or anything like that. We just increased the amount of food she was eating and she lost weight and then also PR her, her half marathon. Right? I mean, I was, I was trying to get her to eat more than she could possibly eat. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, I see this all the time with, especially with athletic clients. So not uncommon that no, someone is on a devoted path to eating more nutritious food. I think we should always qualify that, that anyone who's going to increase their intake of junk food or food that has uh, metabolic inhibitors, like Mike Fave says on the Energy Balance podcast, uh, that's a no-go. And there's there's no justification, even for an athlete who's burning calories like crazy all day because they have recovery needs. They want to manage that uh, production of free radicals. And the, the stuff that happens when you eat junk food is uh, is not aligned with performance in any way. But consuming more calories and then losing ten pounds and PRing in the half marathon, um, mm. can we discuss what's going on there and how is that possible so that we can once and for all uh, get out of this flawed mindset that's lingering about mm. calories in, calories out? Yeah, and it, another thing I'll bring up just my own n equals one experiment on myself over the past year i've made an even more conscious effort to eat even more food more carbohydrates i've increased the amount of food that i've eaten by 700 calories oh so you've been tracking it and everything i track it all yeah i'm this huge data nerd i you'll see where this is going i'm a huge data nerd so tracking food is is something i do frequently i know it's not for everyone but i i do it um and over the past year, I've increased the amount of calories in an effort to put on a bunch of lean mass. I'm trying to put on some lean mass here over the past year. And um, I had a DEXA scan a year ago. I was sub 10% body fat, like 9.6% body fat, whatever. I went back just on Friday. It's been a year since the last DEXA scan. Eating 700 calories more and still the same exact body fat percentage. <laughs> <laughs> I so didn't you, put on any you, fat. Um, you're an anomaly, I didn't, I didn't, man. Yeah, I did increase the amount of lean mass I was at, which I was hoping for, but I didn't put on any fat either, right? I didn't put any fat. My blood work looks spectacular. I don't have, you know, high blood sugar. I don't have prediabetes. Insulin looks great. All this stuff, you know. Um, and I think what's happening is when we take people who are very active. And they're trying, they have, you know, they're, they're very active. They have, uh, um, you know, uh, both mentally and physically, you know, they have a lot of demands on their body. And all of a sudden you start feeding the body the right food. 
it starts burning it. It starts using it. It starts, you know, you know, upregulating hormones that maybe have been downregulated because you weren't eating enough or you're fasting too long or too much stress or whatever. Right. Um, and you get more energy to do more, right. They, they might work harder in their workouts. They might lift more weight. They might, you know, kick up the intensity on, on their workouts. Right. And I think you just, your body just starts to compensate by increasing the amount of energy that you have, because there's a lot of food around now. And now we're going to start doing stuff, you know, that we weren't able to do before. And it doesn't just go right to body fat, like the, you know, the bananas that you eat or the strawberries or potatoes or white rice or whatever you're, you know, you're incorporating in your diet just doesn't just magically turn into body fat because it's a carbohydrate, right? Um, your body takes that and does something with it and you feel better. Like your sleep increases, like you know, all these things happen, right? And you can imagine, like I had some more carbohydrates, my sleep increased, so I'm able to perform better and do more work and, you know, and et cetera, right? Um, both mentally and physically. Right. Um, so I think it's just the body taking all that stuff and just like, thank you. Like it's, it's, it's paying you back. Right. And, and, and showing you what it's capable of, uh, when we start to, to add more food there. Um, well, we know that quote from, uh, Ponter reproduction, repair, growth, and locomotion are a zero sum game. If you, uh, borrow a lot from one, for example, locomotion, which all forms of exercise fall into right locomotion mm -hmm. moving right people mm -hmm. so if you are training really hard and you're constraining your caloric intake uh, by virtue of following a plan or, or fasting uh, eating a couple meals whatever the the structure is where you're um, trying to uh, minimize your caloric intake or you're trying to optimize it uh, but you're going to be compelled to turn down those other dials and that's the sort sort of the stuff under the radar that we can't really discern where, um, you know, libido drops a little bit. It's not anything earth shattering. That's going to send you off to a physician to talk about, uh, but it's just down and smoldering a little lower, same with your immune function. So you're going to get uh, minor illnesses or going to, things are going to linger a little bit longer and then repair, um, the, the recovery from the exercise. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's like Paul Saladino says, he's trying to take people from level seven to level nine. And we don't even know whether we're at level seven or whether we're at level three. Uh, you know, there's always something yeah. that we can aspire to, to be better. And I definitely fall into this category where uh, a lot of people look at me and say, well, you have so much energy and you're, you're in great shape. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't think so because I have a hard time recovering and I, I wish I could perform better uh, and have less muscle soreness and less fatigue and less this and less that. So um, the, the variable of increasing your intake of nutritious foods, I think is relevant to a lot of people who want to turn all those dials up all the way. And I'm yep. thinking of the interesting research about caloric expenditure, where, um, some people are naturally more fidgety. So they're tapping their leg all day long at their desk, which, uh, increases daily caloric expenditure by a shocking amount. I think it was like 600 extra calories per day, just from tapping and fidgeting. Um, but in, in many cases, um, we've, we've completely ignored these parameters. And instead we look at the machine that we're pedaling on and it says you burned 642 calories, congratulations. And then you can go to the menu at Jamba juice and, uh, realize that the medium smoothie has 642 calories. And we're still stuck in that mindset, even though we know better. I think it's lingering in, in the back of our minds, especially as 
fitness enthusiasts who are trying to be uh, a little bit structured and strategic with our caloric intake, um, we're not making that extra effort that might possibly benefit us. Like you're relating with a year long data intensive experiment. I'm glad you're doing it. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm too lazy, but I've been on my own experiment now at, um, the seven week mark to consume yeah. a lot of additional daily calories and see how it's affecting me. And my body fat is exactly the same. Uh, so, um, there goes the, the ironclad constrained model. Yeah, and I think there there is something here where I think I, I do agree, and this is not anything new. Like Ponzer is saying, you know, it, the body will start shutting some stuff down if it has to steal energy from somewhere else, right? Um, you know, like this is this has been a well known fact in in the bodybuilding realm for a long time, right? Like, look, look I think I've heard Eric Helms. Uh, um, uh, to say this a number of times, like when he gets super lean for his bodybuilding shows, like he, he can feel his eyes, he's blinking, slow down, like <laughs> talking about like just moving, like it just, it's hard to like blink your eyes when he's like ready to get on stage, you know? And these people are like down like 3% body fat, you know, they're, they're, they're really pushing the limits here. And for sure, you know, things, you know, fidgeting goes down, but now we're talking about like hormones going down and and yeah, they have no desire to, to have, you know, any, their libido's gone, you know, everything and, and their body's sending all the signals it possibly can for them to, to eat more food. Right. Um, and that, that for sure happens, right. I mean, when you start, the body's going to start stealing energy, if you're not putting enough in the tank, it is going to shut down the immune system. It's going to shut down your sex hormones, your thyroid. And, you know, I got to that point, like when I was hardcore keto, hardcore you know, intermittent fasting, fasted workouts, you know, and then doing crazy obstacle course racing at the same time, I felt like absolute garbage. I was, I just felt crappy and I wanted to eat all the food I possibly could all the time, you know, but I just thought that was what I had to do for health, right? That's that, that was, that was the path towards health. Right. Um, and, um, it did the opposite. Right. Um, and so what I don't, agree with is like what we're saying here is that <clears throat> when you start to give the body the energy it needs that there is some fictional cap on the amount of energy that you can expend at that point right um clearly my body figured out how to burn the additional calories that i was eating over the past year and i didn't magically put on a bunch of body fat or you know whatnot right um, it, it burnt it. Right. So I, I don't think there's this constrained model. And I think some of Ponzer's latest research that has recently come out shows that that constrained model only comes into play when you're not feeding the body, when you are in an energy restricted state. Um, yeah, that, that cap comes into play because the body's like, I can't, there's nothing else to give. You're not giving me enough food. I can't burn anymore. What are you going to do? And so I think applying that research from the Hazda, which is a hunter-gatherer talk tribe, they're probably in an energy-restricted state because they have to physically gather and hunt all their food, <laughs> build their shelter. Like they don't, they're not, a, you know, they're not the average Westerner here. And then taking that and apply to an obese, you know, mostly obese, overweight, unhealthy Western society that is in a calorie surplus most of the time, obviously, um, but also eating a bunch of garbage food. Um, and telling them that, uh, you know, if 
once you get to this magical threshold here, like, you know, it's pointless to move anymore. I still, I still think they should be moving as much as possible, right? They're probably not even close to getting to that that threshold anyways. <laughs> the average person, right? They're not even, like, they can just go out for a walk and they'll, you know, they're not even close. Um, but telling them that, you know, there's this magic threshold that they're going to get to and all of a sudden the energy is going to go nowhere and, you know, doing any more is, is useless, I think, kind of sends the wrong message. I, I'd rather, you know, you move as much as you possibly can, <laughs> Um, I, I don't think that movement's an issue for the average person who's unhealthy, but, uh, yeah, for the, the healthy athlete, you know, just more food, you know, is, is going to do the body good. I think for, for the average person, uh, let's back up a little bit and, and discuss this constrained model further, um, for those who didn't listen to the, the prior shows on the topic. Uh, but it implies that, um, you're going to hit this calorie burning ceiling uh, no matter what you do. So if you go and do a vigorous workout and burn those 637 calories during your morning pedaling session, your body's going to kick into an assortment of compensations to keep your calorie to- calorie burning total the same at the end of the day. Um, and some of those compensations are uh, just moving more slowly, being a little more lazy uh, and sluggish to protect against what's perceived to be I mean, it's kind of a, a survival response, right? We can't just go and go and go and, and burn all these calories. And then if we don't eat them, you know, we're going to die. So we're going to, we're going to slow ourselves down because we're uh, burning calories during vigorous workouts. And that's the constraint model, the additive model, which was previously believed. I mean, the additive model is what the fitness industry is based on, where they're giving you your smart watch or your smart exercise machine, uh, proudly reporting how many calories you've burned and then uh, making a correlation or trying to make a correlation in the consumer's mind that this is the rate at which I'm going to drop excess body fat. Um, so it, all, all the, the research is, I, I think, in agreement here that um, that whole idea is nonsense, uh, but the additive model uh, is relevant in so many ways. And that's what we were talking about uh, back and forth where you know, I too had a problem with this uh, with this open and shut uh, idea that uh, we're going to hit our calorie burning ceiling because I've had so much uh, life experience to note that, for example, when I increase my training uh, from level five to level seven, I uh, drop excess body fat and I get leaner. And um, that that's, you know, something that's everyone could nod their head that are uh, fitness enthusiasts. So what's going on there? And in your case, uh, making a devoted effort to eat more calories for an entire year and not adding excess body fat also transcends the constrained model and puts you into the additive model category on your side was, was eating. And on, on another side is more exercise. Mm. And I think, you know, if you think about the person who's also, you know, been super frustrated, they're, they're in this energy restricted state and they're adding more exercise and they're not seeing the scale go down. Right. And that maybe they're running into that a little bit, that, that constrained model, right? The, they're sitting there like, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm trying to eat less food and I'm trying to add more exercise and nothing's going on. Like my body composition is not changing, et cetera. You know, they might be hitting this constrained model, but, you know, Ponzer himself has come up with research that shows once you get to maintenance or above, the constrained model starts to go away. All of a sudden, the additive model starts to take take effect right 
And they do see you burn more calories as you increase your exercise. So that person who's trying to maybe lose a bit of body fat and why, I, you know, like I brought up the example of my client before, she was eating more food, but yet lost more weight. Um, is I think that you bring someone up to maintenance and all of a sudden the body starts to, that exercise caloric burn starts to take to effect. And now they're going to start to, to dip into a caloric deficit again and drop some of that, that weight again. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, for that person that might be frustrated or like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm eating my keto diet and I'm, I'm certainly in my caloric deficit. They're, they're like me tracking their food and, blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, you know, they're, they're trying to add more exercise and they're not seeing anything happening, no results. Um, you know, it might help to just, like I said, eat, more, eat a little bit more food. It's not going to hurt. Um, and, uh, and, and see what happens then. Right. I mean, you're, you probably, you know, you might see a scale actually do what you're trying to do, um, by eating more food. So, um, you know, I, I think that that constrained model exists. It's just, it's just not universally applied and across the, the board to everyone in all scenarios. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gaines Wave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gaines Wave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gaines Wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gaines Wave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainsway from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Well, it seems like the entry point here is to eliminate the processed foods that don't uh, do you any favors to your metabolic and hormonal function. I think that's the big message from a lot of uh, Energy Balance podcasts too, is that when we are consuming these foods that interfere with our own energy production... Um, then we get into a tailspin where our appetite's dysregulated. We're hungry for more food because we suck at burning our own body fat. 
And then we're going to uh, going, especially for the quick energy, uh, quick energy processed foods that give us that boost because our, our brains uh, feeling tired, feeling hungry, thinking that we're starving, even though we're carrying around a lot of excess body fat. So uh, before anyone has the ambition to drop excess body fat, um, first you got to get healthy. And yep. the first checkpoint would be to ditch all those nutrient deficient processed foods, especially the refined industrial seed oils, which are now uh, finally getting the attention as the, the single worst enemy in the diet. Uh, they interfere with your ability to burn stored body fat. And so mm -hmm. uh, when you can't burn body fat, you're going to be turning toward uh, a lot of times processed foods to just make it through the day before you crash and burn. And when you're not burning energy well, um, you don't have the energy to go out there and exercise more and uh, reap the benefits of eating more nutritious foods. And there's probably a lot of people somewhere in the uh, in the gray zone here where they're consuming, uh, by and large, a, a, a mindful diet that has some nutritious foods, but they're still allowing uh, some of this stuff to leak into the picture, um, the the um, uh, the metabolic inhibitors. Uh, like the seed oils, which are in so many processed foods, they're in so many restaurant meals. So even an extremely clean eater who's diligent and disciplined, but likes to go and get takeout or go to a fine dining uh, a couple nights a week is going to be loading up on these seed oils. And when those things linger into the picture and you're not good at uh, metabolizing fuel nor stored energy, um, you're not going to, you're not going to hit your goals. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Getting the, the the big rocks in line first are are critical before we even worry about any of this other stuff. Um, because, like you said, if your body's not able to utilize the fuel that you are giving it, or you're giving, you're putting in crappy fuel to utilize, um, we're you know it's a it's a non-starter. Right? So, um, you know, switching to a more ancestral-based diet, whatever that looks like for you, whatever makes you feel good, you know, whether it's more plants than or, or less plants or more animal meats or more fish or whatever like it for me I, I i don't really care about that i just want you to feel good eating the way you're eating um but yeah you know eliminating as many processed foods etc um that you you know that you possibly can out of your diet um you know and, and it can be a process like the it's not it, it's not gonna be an overnight thing you know it, you have to it's a habit change thing. It's a lifestyle thing, you know, so these things take a lot of time to change, but addressing that type of stuff, addressing things like any kind of sleep issues, addressing gut health, you know, if you have some type of blood sugar issue, addressing that stuff, like, you know, making sure the, the, the big rocks are in play here so that you can then utilize the food that you're putting into your body to, 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 to make your body do the things that you want to do is Step number one for sure. Like that, that that's that's needs to be done. Uh, you mentioned a, a while back that you uh, occasionally will fast. For example, on a day of jet travel, when the uh, the stress hormones are high and the, the digestive opportunity is, is inhibited by the the inherent stress of uh, traveling on a jet plane uh, and other occasions. And I think this goes back to. Um, some of the comments that Mark had where you want to develop this attribute of metabolic flexibility where you can handle uh, just about anything gracefully. And that includes um, a, perhaps a, a carbohydrate slam uh, that came as a celebratory event or, or for whatever reason. And it also happens to include 
uh, being able to fast or, you know, eat in a ketogenic pattern for, uh, you know, as a reset exercise, uh, like we talk about in the book where you're going into this 21 day reset to kind of fine tune your metabolic function. If you've fallen off track and, uh, are consuming too many processed foods, processed carbohydrates, especially, uh, so that makes sense because, uh, what Mark went on to explain is that, um, when I say, Hey, what about this, uh, this assertion that fasting turns on stress hormones? Of course, that's, um, it's not an opinion. It's true. And so, um, to, to respond to that, um, the idea is that, um, if you're really good at fasting, it doesn't turn on stress hormones to any, uh, negative extent. And it's no, it's not much stress for someone who's highly metabolically flexible to go and perform a high intensity workout and fast afterward, and perhaps get these, um, uh, so-called hormetic benefits from, uh, the burst of adaptive hormones into the bloodstream, and then you're fasting. So they're lingering a bit longer. And then finally you do, uh, uh refuel yourself and ensure that you're going to recover for the next day. Ben Greenfield talks about this a lot where he's getting what he calls the best of both worlds because he banks a lot of hours fasted. Uh, he'll do intense workouts when he's fasted, and then he'll have these family celebratory evenings where they're making all kinds of concoctions and they're consuming a lot of food, including a lot of carbohydrates, which helps them, you know, restock glycogen for, uh, the next day's efforts and minimize the overall stress impact of all the things that we mentioned, the workout, the fasting period, uh, and so forth. And so I think that that feast or famine concept of course is highly ancestrally aligned and probably makes sense and has been working for a lot of people, especially that idea of like pairing your carbohydrates with your energy output. Liver King calls it earning his carbs. And you'll see his crazy videos on Instagram where he's eating mass quantities of uh, whatever it is, including a lot of carbs after he's done the crazy barbarian workout. So um, that, that certainly makes sense. But as I finish this, uh, this diatribe here, we also have to compare and contrast with the stuff that Jay Feldman is saying, where, um, look, we're still talking about the cumulative effect of an assortment of different stressors. And in many cases, these stressors having kind of the same pathway of starving the cells of energy, uh, in the idea of getting a fitness benefit or a health benefit like mitochondrial biogenesis. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, as you were speaking there about like my example of, of fasting when I'm on the plane or whatever, you know, or traveling and stuff like that, I think you can look at that as, as a balancing the stress spectrum, right? Because when I'm, when I have those days, yeah, I have this added stress of, of, of an extended period of time without food, but I'm also not working out. I'm not moving. I'm pretty relaxed, probably watching a movie on a plane, like, my life is conversely on the whole, the allostatic load of all the stressors in my life is actually kind of low. Like I, I added a little bit more stress there. That's something I wouldn't normally do, but for the most part, everything's kind of low. I might take a nap on the plane, you know, but I've never taken a nap. I have two kids. I don't take a nap. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, so like you're, you're kind of balancing the, the total stress load to, to be on that side. And I think also your point about Metabolic flexibility is, you know, this is another one of my favorite topics. I, I love to talk about this. I think that um, lots of times people lose sight of like, like when, when you and Mark wrote the, the key to reset, like the whole goal 
if you look at, if you read that book, uh, somewhere in there, Mark states, the goal of the keto reset is to become metabolically flexible. It's not to be keto for your entire life. It's to go out and enjoy the piece of cake when it's your birthday. And the next day, be no worse off for it. Like you're not on a car binge. You're not, you know, you're just right back to whatever your normal eating pattern is. Um, whether you're in ketosis or not, doesn't really matter. You improved your health, you improved your resiliency. Um, and this is just the average day person, right? Like the goal is to be able to eat carbohydrates and not be any worse off for it, right? It shouldn't be a piece of cake every day, right? We're talking about, you know, whole food carbohydrates for the most part, but you should be able to eat those things and not be any worse off for it. Uh, it's not to be fasting keto, you know, super restrictive all the time. Right? It's to give you more flexible flexibility in your diet to expand your, the amount of food that you're eating. Um, and I think people lose sight of that all the time. Um, and I think everyone's goal should be to eat the widest range of food that they possibly can. Um, and I think metabolic flexibility gets you to that, that point. Um, yeah. And I also think that the, the athletes don't realize how much their exercise uh, gives them that metabolic flexibility mm. that they, they, they can, the, the carbohydrates that they eat are being utilized. Even like, you know, we talk about like, Oh, you eat carbohydrates and insulin goes up and that's, you know, a problem in itself. And I, I, I have an issue with that model as well, but like when you're in exercising and you're physically exerting your muscles, the carbohydrates that you eat doesn't even require insulin to get into your muscles afterwards. Like your insulin doesn't even go up, you know, <laughs> Your metabolic flexibility is even more. And the more muscle mass you have, the bigger sink for carbohydrates you have, right? So you're an athlete, you have a lot, you know, you're lean, you have a good amount of muscle on your body. Like that is the biggest store of carbohydrates in your body. And you should be able to consume nutritious whole food carbohydrates because simply because you're active, plus you have all that muscle, right? Um, so I, I prefer gaining metabolic flexibility over at, uh, by, by increasing activity and building muscle mass, as opposed to trying to get there via mm. restriction, you know, carbohydrate restriction, fasting and all that stuff, because that restriction model leads people to a mindset. That's like, you know, they, they can't have these foods. And when you start to go down that, that, that path and people, you know, they have, they eventually want the food and that's where the binge comes in. And then they quote unquote fall off the wagon and Blah, blah blah. So this restriction mindset is a can be an issue a lot of times for people. Um, whereas the abundance mindset, where I have the muscle mass, I've I've worked out today, I can you know eat my earn my carbs or whatever, um, I can eat that food and not be any worse off for it, is a much better mindset to be in as like just a human in in the modern food environment. <laughs> um, yeah, well said. I mean, that's going to promote longevity. Uh, perhaps in a superior, not perhaps, I, I, I will assert that uh, being a more active, fit person carrying around functional muscle mass is going to have a longer, uh, more superior health span to someone who's uh, tweaking around with diet their whole life, being minimally active, uh, but still getting a, an oppressive level of metabolic flexibility by uh, staying in keto for years and years or doing a lot of fasting and going to the, the seven-day fasting retreats and all the things that uh, extreme enthusiasts are doing. Um, they're, they're certainly getting to that point. 
but I'm referencing back uh, 30 plus years ago when I was an extremely hard training triathlete and consuming massive amounts of fuel every single day, including massive amounts of carbohydrates, including processed carbohydrates, because that's what we had to do to get through the hours. But I still had metabolic flexibility. And I remember Johnny G, my training partner, challenging me one time uh, to ride 100 miles on no fuel. So we, we had water and we easily did it. Of course, probably ate a lot of food for the rest of that day. Uh, but it, it showed that I had these attributes that we talk about accessing through extreme carbohydrate restriction and dietary obsession today. There's different uh, and alternative pathways there that might arguably uh, be you know, the, the, the secret to kind of getting out of these ruts that a lot of people are reporting, including your clients and, and yourself and myself. Yeah. And two points there. So you bring up two very good things. This made me think about this. And I think you and Jay touched on this point as well. But if you're trying to goose the metabolic flexibility uh, you know, uh, situation by restricting carbohydrates, if you, you, that, that works to some degree, but only to a point. Because at some point, your body is going to say, well, this person's not eating carbohydrates anymore. I, I don't really need to deal with them. And, and you're making yourself less metabolically flexible. Because the next time you have carbohydrates, it's going to be like, well, I don't know what to do with these things. <laughs> You know, you're going to see this, mm. you're going to get this, uh, physiological insulin resistance type of situation where it's like, I don't handle carbohydrates really well. You know, my blood sugar goes up when I have a strawberry, that type of thing. And it's because your body's really smart. It's like, you know, these, these, there's enzymes and stuff involved in, in, in processing the carbohydrates once it hits your blood sugar in your blood and all that other stuff. And if it's, if, the, if that stuff's no longer needed, because you're not, you haven't had a, 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 a carbohydrate in six months, it's not going to produce those enzymes anymore. It's like, eh, I don't really need this anymore. I'm going to, you know, turn this, this thing off. And now all of a sudden you start to, you have a carbohydrate and you're like, Oh my God, you have that, that crash. Right. Um, or you see your blood sugar go way out of line. They're like, ah, oh, I can't handle the carbohydrates. Well, maybe you can, but you just haven't eaten a carbohydrate in six months. And so now you're like less metabolically flexible, flexible. If you were, than if you were just having a more mixed diet, um, that's, that's one thing I, I wanted to bring up on the metabolic flexibility point. And the other thing that I, I think people get afraid of too, is like, Oh, you know, especially the athletes in the low carb space are like, Oh, I want to, I want to burn fat. I want to burn fat. I want to burn fat. You know, it's, it's the best fuel for, for my athletic performance. Yes. I, th I think that you should be able to burn fat, you know, at, at certain heart rate ranges, et cetera. But when it's time to put the pedal to the metal, there's no doubt that carbohydrates are the superior fuel. And if your body can't tap into that, when you're trying to go hard, that's a problem, right? Um, and it also, you do not lose the ability to burn fat once you start eating carbohydrates. Like that just, it doesn't happen. Like it, it's not like it's on and off switch, right? Um, I have behind me, my messy desk behind me, I have a metabolic cart, a Pinoy metabolic cart. I've strapped that thing to my face. And gotten on the rower and done a whole bunch of tests, uncomfortable VO2 max tests, etc. And I watched my fat burning and my carbohydrate burning, etc. And I've done RMR tests, etc. I've consumed close to 400 grams of carbohydrates the night before. Woken up the next not in over the day before. Woken up the next morning, did an RMR test to measure the amount of fat and carbs I was burning. First thing in the morning, fasted. I'm burning between 70 to 80% fat, right? Like that's a sign of a metabolically flexible person, right? And it's because 
I utilize those carbohydrates fine. I'm physically active, metabolically flexible, et cetera. Like if you're an athlete and you're, you're pushing the limit, you know, like you should not have a problem. Um, the fat burning is not going to shut off overnight because you had some carbohydrates the night before. Like it's, it's still there. I can still go for fasted runs in the morning if I want to for multiple hours, right? It's, it's still there. It's still there when you need it. Um, and I think like the elite athletes prove that, right? I mean, yeah, they, they eat, like you said, like you, like yourself, like you, you can, when, when called for that, that fat burning ability is still there and that's a sign of a healthy metabolism. I'm so glad it's proven by the data nerd irrefutably when you're (laughs) you're strapping up to the cart people. And if that science is, is going over your head, that's fine. Just, just take his word for it that, um, you know, you can, you can take a, take, take some variability here. And then, uh, in, in a certain category of, of person, um, and I'm becoming convinced that, um, that includes, includes myself. Um, I, I probably don't need to mess with any, uh, hormetic stressors in the category of diet because I'm already pushing myself hard enough with my workouts. And for example, I'm looking at my recent blood work, triglycerides were 27. Um, that's in the healthy range of under a hundred. Yeah. But some people (laughs) would argue, maybe you have an opinion on that, uh, that it's too low. Chris Kelly told me from nourish balance thrive, he goes, that's too low. And so arguably, um, I'm going to be perhaps considering consuming more sugar to bump up my triglycerides. I'm not talking about a lot of people here, but it's an illustrative example of someone who, who I'm trying to optimize and my triglycerides are ridiculously low rather than just heart healthy. Yeah. I, the, as much as people think that, you know, lower is better. I think like, if you look at your standard blood panel and it looks like the range is like for triglycerides is like zero to whatever hundred is the healthy range. Like zero is not good. <laughs> you know? And I'm going to, I'm going to channel my inner, uh, you know, Chris Kelly and, and Dr. Tommy Wood and say, yeah, that, that's probably a, a sure sign that you need to eat more food. <laughs> because yeah it's i think i think i've heard tommy say i i can't remember off the top of my head i I think it's like 50 milligrams per deciliter or lower or in that range i think uh then that's kind of like you know it kind of looks like you probably want to eat a little bit more food um uh in that range so 27 is like super low yeah uh and just for reference like we're often told uh, the, the goal is getting under 150 for heart mm-hmm. disease risk factor um, management. Dr. Ron Sinha and others are asserting that really you want to strive to be under 100 rather than 150. Yeah. That's a little bit too much leeway. Um, and then you want to uh, compare that ratio of triglycerides to HDL as what's now being uh, asserted as the single best uh, tracking, uh, single best numbers to track for heart disease risk factor or lack of one and striving to get that ratio somewhere near one-to-one is ideal. In other words, triglycerides and HDL are similar. And um, uh, the there's an urgent need on the other side to get under 3.5 to one. Uh, otherwise you're in that uh, high risk factor. So that implies that your, your trigs are over 150. And if your HDL is under 40, that's known as a risk factor for metabolic syndrome as well. How do you raise HDL uh, through exercise and through eating more saturated fat? So yeah. um, if, if I'm way below one-to-one because my HDL is up there 60 or 70 or something, um, yeah. yeah, it's 
I got the I got the okay to go and do further dietary experimentation. But I think a lot okay. of people are stuck in this middle ground. And I was one of them, just like you wrote me, you were one of them too, where, um, look, I don't want to, I don't want to gain excess body fat. Uh, I have a, I have a podcast episode where I talk about my obligation to drop excess body fat. Cause I allowed things to get out of hand and I, you know, I, I wasn't at my competitive weight anymore. And so I had to kick into gear these tools like, uh, fasting and carb restriction and all manner of, of tricks and, and strategies to, to get that fat off my body. Uh, but I think then, um, then we got to go for performance optimization and not fool around with anything that's going to turn down one of those dials. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's definitely a balance. Like there, there's, there's this U-shaped curve in almost everything, right? Like too little, not so good, like too much, very bad. Right. And it applies to HDL applies to triglycerides, it applies to your body fat percentage, et cetera. Right. Um, it's also interesting, I, th I think, you know, to look at certainly track this stuff, right? Like, uh, like this is why I like to track these things because I, I love the data to see, you know, to tie what I'm doing, what I'm, what I'm doing in the gym, what I'm doing with my diet and, and how it's changing my blood markers and my, my metabolic flexibility and, you know, my blood sugar and stuff. I wore a CGM for a few months. And again, like, yeah, it's an eye-opening experience because I strapped that CGM to me and I could not, I tried my hardest to make my blood sugar, like go high and it, it would not happen. Like <laughs> literally, you know, I don't, I don't advocate doing this, but my, my good buddy, Dr. Mike T. Nelson, he's my coach. And he was like, Hey, you know, just try this for me. We're not going to do it all the time, but you know, just try this for me. He's like, eat two pop tarts, just like eat two pop tarts and see what happens. I was like, all right, the worst possible scenario I could possibly be in sitting on the couch at night in front of the TV, not doing anything. I eat the two pop tarts and the thing didn't even go over 110. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, like, so, but, you know, without that data or like knowing that, you, you might, thinking like that's the worst scenario ever, but maybe not. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that you should eat pop tarts all the time, no, well, but like it shows that you have the capability to consume maybe a banana every once in a while and not be any worse off. For it, right. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's this U-shaped curve to, to everything. And I think, you know, when you start to fiddle with these things and increase your diet and, and, and you know, to see the triglycerides go up or your testosterone go up or your thyroid go up or, whatever, right. Whatever that marker is something to track progress in the right direction. Um, is a good thing to have, right. It gives you confidence that you're, you're going in the right direction and things. Yeah. Like I noticed the same thing with a few separate, uh, two week bursts with the CGM, right. That's how long the sensor lasts. So, um, for those of you interested in trying it out, um, you, you put it on your arm and it stays there for two weeks, day and night with a little patch over it to protect it. And they have all your data points. And the same thing for me, like I, I finally um, kind of got bored using it because uh, nothing would would budge my my blood right. glucose. <laughs> I didn't try the two Pop-Tarts thing, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah. one thing that um, was uh, illuminating that Jay Feldman said was that if you do report these experiences of feeling crashed out after consuming carbs, um, there's some really compelling uh, reasons for it. One of them was unmasking your reliance on stress hormones. And so I've had times where 
you know, I've fasted for an impressively long time. And finally at one or 2 PM, I slam a big meal and I kind of crash and burn afterward. And I'm like, well, I guess, uh, you know, I had too many carbs or whatever my, my first impulse was. Uh, but in fact, it could be, um, that finally I'm getting the fuel I need, especially as an athlete who burned a lot of calories and now is getting into this uh, situation where I'm turning down the dials. Then I get the nutrition I need and there, therefore I can, um, you know, turn off that fight or flight mechanism that was getting me through my busy, productive morning. And that one is highly disturbing to me because again, I do not want to go and tap into stress hormones to an excess. Um, this is back to uh, the conversation I had with Sisson and I'm arguing my point strongly. And he says, Ab absolutely. That's true. Uh, by the way, it's no trouble for me. Mark's talking now to fast until 1 PM every single day, because his body is highly trained to be a closed loop system, including uh, putting up some impressive numbers at the gym. And so mm -hmm. I think there's some individuality here and there's some trainability to this uh, as yeah. well. Um, but I'm thinking of now this Ironman guy, Blumenfeld from Norway. He's a most sensational athlete, uh, Olympic gold medalist, just shattered the world record at the Ironman distance. And he's going so fast for the duration of the Ironman. He's doing in seven hours, 20 minutes uh, that he's up there in the carb burning zone because he's running a 230 marathon off a bike ride where he's going 27 or 28 miles an hour. And so, you know, we have this fascination with becoming a fat adapted endurance athlete so we can go and go and go all day. And here's a guy going all day who's not only fat adapted, but he's absolutely carbohydrate adapted and probably slamming a lot of carbs during these performances. Sure. Otherwise, I don't know how he could do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I listened to your, um, your podcast. I can't remember her name. Um, the food of God's podcast. Uh, yeah. Lindsay Barra. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was saying, you know, how, how these, the, these elite athletes, they, they have a more balanced approach to their diet. They're not, they're <laughs> not, you know, either keto or fasting or blah, blah, blah. There was one hockey player. I think she said that that was kind of into the intermittent fasting thing. For the most part, everyone had a very balanced whole foods type of diet and yeah, but they're, they're eating carbohydrates like they are. And it's probably a large amount of them. It's pr probably more than the average person needs to eat because, you know, et cetera, they're, they're doing what you're saying. They're doing un unrealistic human feats. Like these are professional athletes here. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's when you get to that echelon of like, you're at the top of your game, like they're, you know, unless you're, you know, an ultra endurance, like we see Zach bitter and he gets brought up a lot and like when you're at that end of the spectrum, you know, it probably is more beneficial to like to, to, to be very much fat dependent and not eat a lot of carbs and to go out and run a hundred miles. But even he eats carbohydrates. Like we know he does, like he said it before, you know, when he gets into those hard training blocks or in the races race time, it, you know, he does eat carbohydrates. Oh yeah. He had his, it's um, not, not a lot, he, but he, does he do published it. his diary of everything he consumed during his first hundred mile world record, uh, years ago, he, he's beat it, um, in, in recent years, but, um, you can go read on his blog and it was like half a Mountain Dew, two Oreos, some licorice, <laughs> an energy bar, a sandwich, you know, it's like whatever just thrown at his face. And then he's off running, um, six minute and 46 pace for a hundred miles. But yeah, those yeah. extreme endurance performances are, are going to be prioritizing fat metabolism. But I think most people out there, especially, you know, your clientele, someone running a half marathon, um, mm -hmm. you're burning a lot of, you're burning a lot of carbs when yeah. you're running at whatever pace, you know, you're, you're competitive at, 
Um, it's it's not this uh, all day, you know, seven day hike through the Appalachians where um, that's a different athletic event than what most people are doing. Yeah, for sure. And I and I think and if if you want to go out there and run a very easy pace and take your time and do that marathon and in five hours and blah, 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 and you want to do it fasted and low carb or whatever, fine. But like lots of my clients are, they're like, I have a time goal. I want to beat this, you know, I want to run this pace and to get for them, you know, they're, they're not an elite athlete, but for them to run that pace, maybe it's, a, maybe it is a four hour marathon or whatever, right. Or a two hour mar- half marathon, wherever it's, we're not talking elite level paces, but for them, that is a hard effort, right? That is, that is requiring carbohydrates. Their body is burning through carbohydrates. And so they need to fuel that activity for them. And that requires carbohydrates, right? That well, pays so for, does their brain. I mean, yeah, your busy right. day in the office, you're, yeah. you're, you're the most ravenous organ in the body, burning 20% of all our energy in the brain, which relies exclusively on glucose unless you uh, transition it over to to ketones. It also burns a little bit of lactate, but we have an incredible need for carbohydrates all day long when we're sitting at our desk. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've, I've never felt as exhausted as, uh, as I have sometimes after I get done, like giving a presentation or something like that, mm. that's super mentally intensive, you know, um, you know, stressful situation. Like I've never felt as exhausted as, I, as I've, I've, I've felt after that, like very few physically, you know, physical times, maybe when I've gone, like, you know, d- did my, my ultra, I, I, I felt a little bit more tired after that. But other than that, like, you know, sometimes your mental performance is just as far as your physical performance. And for sure you're using carbohydrates and, and burning through, um, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, how many people get done with a tough day of work and just want to binge on whatever. Right. Mm. And probably because they haven't fueled their body properly throughout the day. Um, you know, I can't tell you the number of clients are like, oh, you know, I, I have no problem fasting. I'm not hungry all day long, but as soon as I start making dinner, well, now all the snacks start coming out of the, the cabinets and I'm grabbing, I'm taking a spoonful of this and I'm eating that. And I, they've probably eaten like several hundreds of calories of, of, of snacks before they even got into their dinner. And, um, I think that's just a lot of time of just like restrict, restrict, restrict all day long. And then mm. finally you get to a point where your, your brain is like, okay, I'm done working. And now, oh, I'm, I just realized I'm super hungry. I haven't eaten all day. You know, <laughs> let me grab everything in sight, you know? Um, so a lot of times I'm encouraging my clients, especially the athletes to be like, let's stop, take a, take a break during your day and your work day, you know, do what you're doing, finish it, go eat, like eat a meal. Like, I don't even care if you're hungry. Like, you know, if you can get something down, let's, let's eat something here. Um, just so you don't get to that point at the end of the day, after your long work day, after your workout, blah, 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 and you haven't eaten anything. And now you're just, your brain finally realizes I have now no energy, please feed me. And now you're, then the, the Ben and Jerry's is coming out of the, the freezer, right? And that eating the foods that we don't want that have that bad energy, <laughs> you know, um, it's not going to make you feel good. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing as well. Jeez, I think we we made some progress here today, Ryan. Thank you so much for taking the time and especially throwing in those real life examples of uh, the data nerd on the metabolic cart showing oh, yeah. us for a year of additional caloric intake to the tune of 700 calories a day and still looking lean and mean under that under that 10% body fat. Did you hear John Jaquish's comments on that on, on Instagram? He was saying how um, it's like only 1% 
of uh, American males are, are under the, the one percentile is, is 10% or below in body fat. Oh, I didn't know that. And he was no. saying like, that is pretty pathetic. So whatever we're doing in the fitness scene, and he's talking about, you know, hard training dudes who are really trying hard to get their, uh, get their supplements lined up, get their diet, but only 1% of us are under 10% body fat because we got to look, you know, got to look at different yeah. training methods and different dietary strategies because something's not working. Yeah. I will also say that, um, I have managed to add, uh, I've, I've done these DEXA scans for four, five consecutive years. And every year I've managed to add more bone mineral density mm. uh, to my body. I've increased that every year. Um, and I have, it was, un, I had unmeasurable visceral fat this time, uh, zero visceral fat on my body. Um, according to the DEXA scan, I'm sure there's probably some there that just can't detect it, but it's that, it's that low that it came back with zero visceral fat. So yeah, I, I eat a bunch of carbohydrates and a lot of food and have zero visceral fat and managed. To, maybe that's where all the calories went to, to increasing my bone mass, which I'll take from a longevity, longevity perspective. I'll need that when I'm, you know, 80 years old. <laughs> Incredible. How can we yeah. connect further with you and uh, look for that video of the, the client that lost 10 pounds from eating more yeah. food and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. The The best place to go is my website, rjbhealth.coach. It's not .com, it's .coach. Um, from there, you can check out all my blog posts, the, including the blog posts with the client um, there that that did the, 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 the marathon, the half marathon, and it was, I was mentioning earlier, um, as well as right at the top of my page, there's a link to uh, sign up for my newsletter. Um, so click that and you can enter your email address and then I only send, I don't spam you with advertisements or anything like that. It's purely just content, you know, blog posts, videos, stuff like that, that everyone should find useful and actionable, um, that they can incorporate into their life. Uh, if you are on social media, you can check out, check me out at, uh, RJB health coaching on Instagram and, and Facebook. Um, and if you want to follow all my personal stuff, like my lifts and training and stuff like that. You can find me at Ryan Jason Baxter on Instagram. Wow. High tech, man. Way to connect. Thank <laughs> you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Ryan Baxter. Da, 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 da. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. 
Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.